If you're a movie collector, you need Movies Anywhere. It pulls your favorite purchase movies from participating digital retailers into one central place. So you can finally say goodbye to scattered movie collections and hello to an organized library. With Movies Anywhere, you can watch your favorite movies on any compatible device whenever and wherever you want. Ready to grow and enjoy your digital collection? Visit MoviesAnywhere.com slash welcome and register for free. Registration with Movies Anywhere required. Open to U.S. residents 13 and over. It used to be hard to find the exact auto parts you needed, and that meant spending a lot of time at swap meets. It's a different game now when you can order exactly what you need from eBay Motors. They have 122 million parts, so you can always find the right fitment. Spend less time searching and more time building with the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Hey, everyone. This is the Almost World Podcast. Bringing to you mind-blowing interviews with guests from all over the world. So settle down, relax, and enjoy the show. Oh yeah, by the way, if you like the podcast, please support Elmo's World Podcast on Patreon. Your support is what helps the podcast improve more and more. Welcome to Elmo's World Podcast. This is Elmo and I'm with my awesome friend, Jonathan Pierce. Uh, hey man, can you introduce yourself? Hi there. Yeah, so my name's Jonathan MS Pierce. I throw an MS in there because in the UK there's a famous sort of football soccer commentator called Jonathan Pierce, and I don't want to be confused with him, right? So, uh, so I throw that MS in there. So I am a a philosopher who is really interested in the philosophy of religion, and I've written a a, a bunch of books about sort of atheism and also particular things about. For example, Christianity. Uh, I wrote a book on the nativity, uh, the nativity of critical examination, and I've just written a book on the resurrection. So, you know, looking at both ends of of the life of Jesus or the supposed life of Jesus, and looking pretty critically at them. So, you know, I'm really interested in all that kind of stuff, as well as broadly speaking, the world of philosophy. So, you know, I, I like to talk about and write about pretty much anything. Awesome. That's great to hear. Okay, well, one question um, before uh, I start: What does it mean to be a philosopher? You know, if you define yourself a philo- as a philosopher, what does that you know take? What does that, it take? That's a really great question because there, there's anyone can sit on a range. So, in 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 some sense, everyone's a philosopher because you know when when you are thinking about and making claims about anything, which pretty much every human does they have an opinion on everything they 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 will argue well that's good that's bad i don't like that that politics is good this is the politics i believe in whatever you are doing philosophy so in a sense everyone is pragmatically a philosopher but that's not good enough for some people so so the other end of the spectrum is someone who's tenured uh, a professor at university um and that that's the other end of the spectrum which which some people say well that's what you need to be defined as a, a philosopher and then of course you could say well people like Socrates, Thomas Aquinas they were they weren't they would they didn't have you know tenured f- philosophy 
jobs at at prestigious universities or whatever so then you've got you know people with philosophy qualifications who who learn about and write about uh, and think about and argue about philosophy all the time i'd probably fit into one of those positions uh, I, i've i've retired from uh recently from jobs because uh from from the working world because i have uh, multiple sclerosis so i i now am much more free to uh sit back and argue about these things all right and uh, hopefully as people can call me a philosopher philosopher someday too <laughs> well the- yeah absolutely especially if, if if you show sort of requisite knowledge and mm-hmm. and you're willing to argue with people about well pretty much everything all right so jonathan I'm I'm really curious as to what how your you came about into where you are right now in terms of your philosophical philosophical and religious journey. So maybe you could go back in a way back when you were a child. How what where you what kind of environment were you raised in? What, how high school, college, uh, the job, you know, middle age. Um, Sure. What, how did you, what was your journey? So it's, it's funny. I, I have a very different uh, experience to maybe a lot of American atheistic bloggers and, and, and people that you find sort of writing books and arguing about this from an American point of view, because in America, the church and religion is, is a very strong part of society. It's kind of the glue that supposedly holds a lot of America together or, or, or doesn't. It's, it, it, it's what allows people to argue so much with other people there. Britain's a really different kettle of fish. So in Britain, we have the Church of England traditionally, which is all about sort of singing hymns on a Sunday in a very dim, gloomy church and you know so on and so forth it's it's not people aren't really evangelical and we've never really had the evangelical church in the uk that that has has made people think that that's their tribe and and everything that's not that is is wrong and bad and so on and so forth so for me as a child growing up i i was nominally christian and i i went to school and i got confirmed in the school i was at um and I thought of myself as a Christian, but in a really kind of pray to God at night, ask him for stuff. Uh, and that was kind of it. It was only when I later started learning about the theology of Christianity in real depth in what I do now that I understood that my knowledge of Christianity was so poor that it's almost comical that I called myself a Christian. I didn't understand the Holy Trinity. I didn't understand how the atonement works and how Jesus supposedly his death paid for, for, for our sins. I didn't really understand any of that, but I called myself a Christian. So then you get onto this interesting argument about well, who gets to define what a Christian is. You have this fallacy called the no true Scotsman fallacy, which I don't know if you've heard of. Um, so this is the, the idea that someone says, hey, I'm Scottish. And then someone yeah, else says, well, yeah. do you eat porridge? And they say, well, no, I don't. Well, how can you call yourself Scottish? Mm-hmm. And all this kind of stuff. Or who gets to define who's Scottish? Or in this case, who gets to define who's a Christian? So I, I said I was a Christian. I, I went to church. I went to chapel. I was confirmed. I, I prayed. But I didn't really understand it. And so that was a kind of faith I had. And and when I got to about 18, I really started grappling with the kind of problem of evil. Why is there so much suffering in the world? That really, the big thorn in the side of of many Christians. And I just sort of rejected Christianity. And I rejected it quite easily because actually it was only a kind of comfort blanket that I had in times of need or at night when, you know, you're a bit lonely maybe and you, you pray 
but it didn't really I didn't really it wasn't really a, a big factor in, in my life it, in my daily living it, I probably didn't think of God throughout the day and so therefore when you reject it it's not it's not that big of a of a, of a weight off your shoulder and it's not that big of a thing so in america when you leave christianity it can be you know the end of your social network it can be a real psychological problem for you but for many british people we're a bit apathetic we don't really care so much about religion so so that that was that and then you know i went through the next sort of 10 years of my life just being a regular british kind of atheist which is not really caring too much about it until I really got um, involved in, in, in philosophy and got myself a, a philosophy um, qualification and then started really thinking about it and joined a, a, a philosophy group called the Tippling Philosophers where we met in a pub every month discussing this stuff and I became really, really interested in religion again. So right now, well, what kind of, so do you, you know, I want to ask you straight here, like, are you a Christian? Are you not? So, so I'm very clearly an atheist, mm -hmm. but if you were to ask me to be really technical, I'd say I am an agnostic atheist. So I can no more prove that God either exists or doesn't exist than I can prove anything, which is, I can't really. Mm -hmm. The only thing that we know indubitably, if, if, we're, if we're going along with say Rene Descartes is that we exist as thinking entities. So I, I know that I exist whatever the eye is, I don't even know what the eye is particularly, but whatever the eye that I'm feeling, my, my ex feeling experiences exist. Mm -hmm. And outside of that, that's the only thing I know 100%. I could be living in a matrix and I can't prove that I'm not. I can't prove that I am. And so therefore everything sort of outside of cogito ergo sum, I think therefore I am, is a probability and and so that when it comes to the claim of does god exist i'm pretty certain god doesn't exist i'm 99.9 percent .9 certain mm -hmm. but i i can't prove that god doesn't exist in the same way i mm -hmm. can't prove that i'm not living in the matrix mm -hmm. i can't prove that you exist only you only you know whether you exist 100 i've mm -hmm. got a pretty good guess i reckon i'm 99.9 percent .9 sure that elmo mm -hmm. uh, let's start then from the beginning here because um and yes in terms of existence or or life or you know uh philosophical discussions the big question there is like um, does god exist or not and you identifying as agnostic atheist that means that you know you you don't know you're not claiming to know well you don't know if god exists but you don't believe that god exists as well it okay. depends how you define the word no Mm -hmm. And so we get onto what's called epistemology in philosophy. So the study of, you know, mm -hmm. knowledge and how we come to knowledge. Well, I don't know that God exists, but I believe, I believe that God does not. Exist. And I, I want to ask you this, then the first question here, you know, to start off our conversation is why do you not believe in God, you know, in his existence? Um, or hers or its. Uh, yeah. So and this is based on a, an awful lot of arguments. And the question, I suppose, is, have all the arguments that I've collected about the existence of God come along after I opted not to believe in God? Or, or are they reasons I don't believe? So in psychology, these are called post hoc rationalizations. So do, have I said, right, I don't believe in God, and then spend the next 20 years looking for arguments to support my initial intuitive 
kind of decision to not believe in God? Mm -hmm. Or are these arguments the reason I don't believe? And I suppose there's going to be probably a mix of both. I mean, certainly in all these arguments I've surveyed over the last couple of decades, Mm -hmm. they are arguments that, that I think definitely support my lack of belief in God. But I am not one of these atheists who mm-hmm. says uh, atheism is a lack of belief in God. Mm-hmm. That's called weak atheism or negative atheism. I'm a mm-hmm. strong or positive atheist in that I believe that God doesn't exist. I will go out on a limb and say, and I will argue on the internet. So it's not that I have a lack of belief. I believe something here. I believe that God doesn't exist. So this is a strong atheism. And, and, and I will give you plenty of arguments from the, the, the evidential problem of evil. So why is there so much suffering in the world mm. uh, from, um, you know, all sorts of arguments uh, concerning morality, mm. all sorts of negative arguments against uh, religion and against Christianity or theism mm. or God and the whole collection of them. I mean, you know, I, I could mm. bore you for a very long time with, with, with the whole load of arguments that I had, but mm. You know, I've collected these arguments and I think the case against God is much stronger than the case for God. So I guess I'm going to uh, uh, propose this, uh, you know, move forward these three big three arguments for theism. And uh, I I, I will kind of want to just, you know, hear the gist of your counter counter arguments and then we can move on. Mm -hmm. So uh, first is the Kalam cosmological argument the second is the teleological argument you know that intelligent design and then the third would be uh uh moral the moral you know in terms of morality so the Kalam cosmological argument i've written a book on that uh and so my book is called did god create the universe from nothing um countering william lankrade's Kalam cosmological argument so that is it is actually before my resurrection book that's just come out is was probably my favorite book that i've written out of probably the dozen books on on the philosophy of religion that i have so i i uh, it would take me an awful long time to explain the arguments against the kalam but basically the best that the kalam can do so the, the just in case you don't know what the kalam is it's um yeah everything the begins to exist has a cause for its existence the universe began to exist therefore the universe had a cause for its existence and then kind of bolted onto that is that causes god right Mm -hmm. so you've those premises are really quite weak at the beginning they're they're actually inductive premises which means i mean again this is this i would have to go into this in a lot more detail and probably more more than the scope of this podcast but but people think that that argument does more than it really does i think the the the, the, uh, the premises are quite weak, and they all, all they rely on um, like the idea that the universe began to exist. We don't know that science breaks down. Our laws of physics broke down at the break down at the Big Bang, so you can make no predictions for time prior to the Big Bang. Uh, we don't know what our universe does or has done or will do with any mm. kind of certainty. We don't know whether there'll be a crunch, whether it's like an infinite kind of bounce crunch whether there's loop quantum cosmology all sorts of stuff so i think those first two premises are problematic the first premise everything that begins to exist has a cause for its existence we know of nothing in this universe that began to exist from nothing like that chair over there began to exist because it was built from already existing matter 
right? So, so the chair only began to exist when the idea of a chair began that a human ascribed to that chair. But the chair itself is just a bunch of matter. And that matter already existed. So it's only the idea of a chair that began to exist. And this is an abstract idea. And so we get onto an idea of what is the existence of abstract ideas. And I hold to a position called conceptual nominalism, which is that abstract ideas don't exist outside of our minds. They are constructed by our minds. So that chair only began to exist when our minds constructed it. Um, and it's abstract and you can't really make sort of solid conclusions about the matter of the universe from, from our understanding of how abstract ideas work. So on and so forth. Anyway, it all gets very, very sort of in-depth. Read my book. That, that, that's what you need to do first. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but basically, those first two premises are weak and therefore the, the conclusion is weak. Mm. Uh, I, think, I think the Kalam is, is a really weak argument and, uh, and I could happily talk to you for several hours on it. <laughs> but right. that's a weak argument. Okay. But Christians love it, and and William and Craig particularly, he's a big fan of it. Uh, All right. And the second one, then uh, the teleological or intelligent design argument. Okay. So, uh, sort of Paley's watchmaker. Uh, you come across a watch that looks, you know, it looks like it has this irreducible complexity. You, you think this is so complexly pieced together. It looks like it's been designed in this way. Therefore, there's a designer. Therefore, you know. Uh, so on and so forth. Uh, then you look at the universe and supposedly the analogy is, is the universe looks like that watch. Uh, it looks like it's been designed. Therefore, it's, it's been designed, right? Uh, I, I, I just don't, I don't, I think it's a false analogy to say that the that, that watch that's been designed by a human is analogous to uh, the universe. And I, I, I don't think, I think purpose and, and meaning are again human constructions or or constructions that come out of sentient thought and and I, I don't think you can apply that to university does it to the universe does it look like it's designed no it doesn't the universe looks to me precisely like it would look if there wasn't a god like you've got you've you've got black holes you've got it looks more designed for death and pain than it does that some amazing creator has has sat back and designed it, um, and and when you've got a god that supposedly has has created humanity, but has done such a botched job at designing and creating that he has to then send himself down to earth to kill himself to sacrifice himself to himself to atone for the sins of the thing that he's supposedly created himself, you're just thinking well, none of this makes any sense, and so you know why you would create uh, all animals to to be carnivorous you know or most animals to be sorry a lot of animals to be carnivorous and to to rely on the pain and suffering of other animals to merely survive to get their energy rather than all animals to be photo to rely on photosynthesis to get their energy you know you, you start picking holes in this design argument thinking things are, look really poor if i sat back and designed a, a perfect world what i think would be or a, you know a world i could do i think i could do a much better job of of designing a world than, than god supposedly has so i think there's lots of reasons to think that that the teleological argument fails but i think evolution does a really good job of explaining speciation and the range of, of species that we have on earth um Yes, we can have some interesting debates about abiogenesis. So, how, how did life first start? 
but once it starts evolution explains everything i don't have a problem with that um and i think people that do have a problem with that don't really understand it um and and therefore i i just i, I don't think i've ever seen a, a particularly strong teleological argument that that makes me mm-hmm. you know doubt my my conclusion mm-hmm. i see and uh okay so uh, about the moral argument there right like if there is such a thing as evil then you know um there and like absolute evil that exists then there has to be the you know like an opposite force that that's a good out there as well or well what are your thoughts on the moral argument that a lot of atheists make you know and use yeah so i i again i, I don't i don't think it 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 cuts mustard at all. I, I, mm. I think, I think theistic arguments such as, you know, cause they have to say that there is an objective morality, which means a mind independent morality, um, which essentially really means they have to say, well, that exists in God and God's mind and God's nature. And it's somehow the benchmark. Mm. And then you start getting, okay, well, how do you construct a morality around that? And then they, they say, well, divine command theory is, is, is the most preferred out of a lot of Christian thinkers, not all of them, but divine command theory, which is, you know, what God commands is, is necessarily, you know, good or right, uh, essentially is so problematic. I, I wrote a piece of 16 problems with, with divine command theory that it's just, I don't think you can build up a positive case for objective morality based in God, especially Mm. when you look at the world around you, which is if you're looking at the revelation of the Bible and you've got changing morality throughout there, it looks like you've got moral relativism. Justin Sheba once said that the Bible looks like intertestamental moral relativism, which means that things were bad in the Old Testament, but then suddenly the New Testament comes along and we're not really worrying about whether we eat shellfish or whether we're wearing two types of clothing and slavery is suddenly bad when it was countenanced in the old testament so i think there's real problems with with supposed objective morality especially when you look at the world around us and work out what's going on because it looks very much like morality is largely based on psychology largely based on on social the, our social needs and the f- social functions mm-hmm. that we that we that we have for morality so that it's a, it's a useful tool for us to become a successful social species mm-hmm. um i'm i i i am in in a sense i'm a moral skeptic like i don't believe morality exists because i don't believe abstract ideas exist outside of our heads so what we do is we construct a morality so morality does exist but it exists in our heads and when we agree on it so we can all disagree on morality and and that's kind of what happens around the edges is we disagree on a lot but we also agree on a lot because we've got similar brains and similar experiences and when we generally agree what we do is we decide to write an encyclopedia a dictionary well that's how we start codifying it we're saying right we agree on these ideas one one of these ideas we agree on might be morality so when we agree largely on morality we decide to write a law or, or a constitution or something like that and then we write those down and we all agree to it like collectively as some kind of social contract and then we codify that into a law and then we and then we enact that law and and so morality exists pragmatically in the laws we create and enforce but they can differ and do differ around the world which which is evidence that 
objective morality is is slightly problematic even if some kind of objective morality does exist in the ether out there somewhere how do we know we're accessing it how do we know we're right how do we, how, how do we know what the you know what those moral laws are so even if objective morality actually existed we still have to construct it ourselves and we still have to agree on it ourselves and we still have to create laws and we still have to enforce those laws so I think the idea that objective morality exists either in the natural fabric of the universe or in some god is kind of, you know, meaningless anyway, or it doesn't really get you anywhere, because you still have to do the legwork of doing the moral philosophy and attempting to either interpret them or create them from, a, from scratch, which is what clearly societies around the world have been doing since we could communicate effectively. And uh, well, uh... I guess what I can say about uh, your position as an atheist is that, um, you know, generally, you know, by definition, atheism is, you know, a current counter position against theism, right? So, in, so, but before we, before uh, we, you know, proceed with what you actually hold, you know, your views on ethics and, and, and how the universe works and everything, I want to ask you, Oh, the, a question on your views on religion specifically, like uh, either Christianity or Islam or all the other world religions out there. And because you actually written a book about the resurrection, and of course, you know if you uh, you know if you disprove the resurrection, that would actually and it, the Bible itself says that it would just self destruct. You know everything would uh, topple down if you if Christ is well himself. for the Christian Bible, yeah, yeah, yeah for absolutely. the Christian Bible, of course. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, can we? I, I would like you to tackle uh, Christianity first, and then I'd also like you to uh, to uh, talk about Islam. Well, I I think you know at the end of the day, Christianity is really no different to any other world religion, which is it's very parochial. It comes out of a particular time and place, and you can map its history and you can map its growth, uh, and it looks very much like it's any other religion in very many respects i think you know sometimes i say it's it's it has cultish tendencies that that christians themselves overlook so for example when you have catholics the world over kneeling on a sunday to literally eat the flesh and drink the blood of their god in some kind of cannibalistic ritual and that might be sound like me belittling it, but that's literally what they believe in transubstantiation. If I was to tell you, if I was to tell you that my cult or my religion did that, something similar to that, right? If I told a Christian that, they would laugh at me at, at that being a really kind of almost ridiculously pagan uh, and, and ritualistic uh, nonsense. But that is what, you know a good deal of christians believe and and so i think i i think that the kind of nonsense aspects of of the religion because they're so normalized in people because they've been born and brought up and everyone around them does these things they've been born and brought up in, the, in cultures that find this kind of normal they don't really question it they don't really question noah's ark like where two by two you've got animals from all over the world getting together on a massive wooden boat that's physically impossible and you've got more rain falls than than there are water molecules on earth where the earth's crust would implode where you've got just utter ridiculous claims 
but they, they don't question that because they learned it when they were five, they sang songs about it, and then they learned what was improbable and probable about, about the world. And so you get these crazy claims in, in Christianity, as you do in every religion, that Christians in this case will not question because they've been brought up on these things and the cultural baggage that comes with the, these these crazy stories don't seem crazy because they've known them for 20 30 40 years since they were the age of five they've sang songs about them they they learn about them in in church and it doesn't seem ridiculous but if i was to, to sit down and tell you as someone that's never heard of christianity the claims of christianity you would listen with your eyebrows raised in 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 stark surprise because some of those claims are just bonkers so i don't know i th i think i think we give christianity much more cre credibility than we should um based on the fact that so many people believe it and have done for thousands of years so so i think when you when you again like i said earlier everything's about probability and this is how i approach my book on the resurrection and how i'd approach every claim which is you tell me a claim and if it and if it seems completely ridiculously improbable i'm going to ask you for a load of evidence to justify that so if i said to you elmo that do you know what i've got i've got a child right you would probably go all right all right jonathan what what's your child's name and i'd say oscar and you go okay and you wouldn't ask you probably wouldn't ask for evidence you're not going to say i don't believe you show me a picture of oscar Give me his birth certificate. It's a normal claim that's very, really average, and I'd have no reason to lie about it, so, so on and so forth. But if I told you, Elmo, that I've got a dragon that lives in my basement, and uh, and it, you know, and it every Tuesday evening it, it flies to Jupiter and back, and it and it sings a national anthem when it does it, you're going to say that's ridiculous. That's really improbable. I would like a really, really good piece of solid evidence to support that, or a lot of solid evidence to support that. So the question is, if we look at the Bible or the Quran or any other holy book, we have incredible claims that quite often break the laws of nature. Now, these have very low probability. Without looking at the evidence, if I'm going to give you a very improbable claim, if I'm going to give you a claim that that breaks the laws of nature and that every other time I've given you similar claims like this in other religions, you disbelieve them. Then in reality, what I'm I'm asking you to do and believe this claim is, is to believe the improbable. So you will rightly say to me, you've given me a massively improbable claim. I need really, really good evidence to support your improbable claim. The question is, is the Bible or is the Quran really really good evidence and by by really good i mean exceptionally good evidence i mean the evidence i would need to believe the claims of the bible would be video attestation expert attestation video of a video of a video you know i would probably need to see a lot of those claims firsthand because they are so incredible that they require such a high level of evidence to support them i don't think the bible comes remotely close to justifying the incredible claims within it so i've noticed though that you know if, if someone identifies themselves as an atheist of course that uh they the majority of the world you know in our in our, in our uh, global civilization it, it's the most of the people are, are you know in 
belong to a specific religion. But that that's why there is a necessity to identify yourself as outside of that and being different. But what does it really mean to you to be an atheist? Does it mean like you have to constantly struggle against this wave of, of religious people? Or is it like something like, oh, I, I'm an atheist and this it, it means that I'm I'm this humanist that, that has my own moral ethics. You know, because not all atheists believe the same thing, right? But um, so what what does it mean for you to be an atheist? So I think, first of all, like I said earlier, the difference between an atheist in Britain and an atheist in America is huge. And, and it's becoming much more normalized in America now. And that's great. But but an atheist in America often has or historically has had to fight really hard and and often suffer or for their 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 you know um atheism and whereas in britain you know you can be an atheist and no one bats an eyelid it's like whatever most people in britain you know now over 50 percent of people according to the british uh, attitude survey are over are, are atheist or non-religious so so we are the majority in britain and therefore it's really normalized not a problem in America, it's very different. So you'll have different different experiences with that. Um, also, there is there is there is a atheism doesn't tell you anything. Atheism says, "I believe that God does not exist." It tells you nothing else about anything. So, in order to get any moral value system, you need to do a bunch of philosophy, and that's what humanism is. So, humanism is atheism with a load of philosophy tagged onto it. And that will tell you a lot more, which is, you know what, we believe in these kind of moral ideas and that humans are the, the basis of, of X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. So that so humanism and atheism are different, even though both are, both a humanist and an atheist would, do not believe in God. So I, as ever, you've just got to do a lot more um, philosophy. Now, you quite often hear theists say of atheists, are you know atheists are yeah they're nihilists or they're you know stalin pol pot hitler all these kind of claims you're like no 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 that takes a hell of a lot of politics and quite often bad politics and and in order to get from an atheist to stalin so much else has to happen and a lot has to go wrong um but to say an atheist is equivalent to stalin is just is is just horrible and and it's just it takes a lot of ingredients to fix or build a car like cooking but without the frozen dinner easy way out ebay motors has 122 million parts it's always the right fitment so you can follow any recipe to a t whether it's a vintage italian coupe that's classic like grandma's meatballs or a german luxury car that's as complicated as almost roulotten to cook up something great in the garage use the ebay motors app or visit ebaymotors.com let's ride Holidays are here, and so is fashionable fitness. Gift yourself a Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3 5G, a phone that folds in half to literally stand on its own. Pair it with the Galaxy Watch 4 for ultimate wellness and wow factor. Check health stats, flex personal records. Over 90 activities can be tracked, like biking, swimming, golfing, and more. Invest in yourself with tech made to crush goals. Holidays open up with Galaxy. Shop it all at Samsung.com. 5G connection and availability may vary. Check with carrier. Products sold separately. I have huge problems with that and I've written articles on that before but um but but I think what religion does and what what theism does in whatever flavor it has around the world 
is it provides a function for humans and it's it, over time evolution evolutionary psychology you know has has been working through through our species and we've developed this need that that god fulfills so if an if humanism or atheism is to replace theism we need to understand the function that god provides and replace god with something else now, sometimes that's quite hard so if you say god gives me comfort in my afterlife you know i'm going to live forever in eternal heaven then atheism is going to struggle to be anything better than that because an atheist can't promise an everlasting life in heaven but if you're saying well theism provides or belief in god provides this function morally then actually you know humanism can do that humanism can replace god functionally in terms of morality if we talk about explanation of how things happen god used to be that you know thunder used to be thor's hammer so on and so forth well, actually, we can replace that now with uh, our scientific understanding of the world. So science can help us in, in, in explaining attribution or, you know, an explanation of things. So there are certain functions that God um, provides for humanity that, that modern life, atheism and humanism can, can replace. Certain things like heaven, we will struggle with. And I'm really excited to talk about this because I have not actually uh, covered this a lot. And so I would like to explore your version of humanism, you know, and how you how you propose it to be able to replace, you know, all, all the other religions in the, in terms of the uh, functional uh, uh, role it plays in in our societies, right? So it, I I would say first, you know, before before we go ahead start like um yeah it, it does involve a lot of uh, continental philosophy as well. Because um, before you proceed with moral claims, right, and, uh, as an and in the ethics, you know, metaethics, and uh, from coming from an atheistic perspective, I do give respect to you know Nietzsche, uh, Camus, and Sartre, and uh, and uh, a lot of other continental philosophers who who actually dive into uh, existential nihilism. You know, like if the if if the god uh, claim uh, and if God actually dies in, in you know figuratively in, in our society like what what's there to replace it and that you know Nietzsche he, he sort of predicted that all society all of society will fall apart in chaos because that we we, uh, they, we they didn't have something like humanism to replace it yet so this is something that that's why that you're pushing this forward because you you do understand that in our biology it is necessary for us to at least believe in something. You know, find meaning. You know, be, because uh, at most, if people find their lives meaningless and you know have no more purpose, they self-destruct and have depression and uh, you know, and a lot of uh, and eventually, of course, suicide and a lot of st other stuff. So, in this sense, I want to ask you, Jonathan, uh, what is your humanism? What are the foundations of it? And why should someone be a humanist? Goodness me, there's an awful lot to unpack there. Let, let's let's talk about meaning and purpose first. So I think that's a really uh, interesting idea that 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 without God, life is essentially meaningless. So some might say, right? 
And this fully depends on the idea that meaning is, is really, when you talk about meaning, you're only talking about ultimate meaning. And when you talk about ultimate meaning, you're talking about meaning that transcends life, human life. So if you're saying, if, if you start with a definition that meaning has to be something that transcends uh, your individual human life, then what you're saying is only God can provide that meaning. Well, yeah, I'd agree with you, because when I die, I'm dead and my mind doesn't continue. And so my any meaning I have in life necessarily dies with me. And as for meaning that transcends all humanity, we, we just have our, our collective brains and there isn't some ether out there that contains meaning, right? So I think, I think what Christians try to do, for example, and I say Christians, and what I mean is generally theists in general, but, but, you know, what the Christian often tries to do is to say that meaning is only acceptable as a thing equivalent to ultimate meaning and ultimate meaning is something that is eternal effectively. Uh, and I, I think they're sort of rigging the system there and rigging the question. Now, if I if I if I create a spade, if I build a spade, right? To and I say to this spade, it's got sentience, right? I'm some kind of god figure. I build the spade and give it sentience. Say, right, your purpose is to dig holes so that I can plant flowers. And the spade goes, that's your purpose for me. That's the meaning you've given to me. But I'm a sentient spade. I want to go off and uh, I prefer to dance with with that that fork over there, uh, that garden fork. So my meaning in life, my purpose is to dance with a fork. Who are you to tell me as a spade, even though you created me, what my purpose is? And I feel like that for humans, like even if God did exist and has a purpose for us, do you know what? I'm a sentient creature and it's far more noble to create my own meaning and purpose than to take on a meaning or purpose that some third party is ordering me to take on. So I think humans create meaning in life uh, and, and, and we can do that in so many different ways. Uh, I'm not saying we should create meaning in such and such a way, but I think we find meaning in everything we do. And, and it's far nobler to create our own meaning than have a meaning ascribed to us or a purpose ascribed to us. How do we do that? Well, humanism, so the definition for humanism, I mean, this is, people will argue about this, but UK, you know, humanism, UK humanists would say there are three aspects to humanism. So humanist is someone who, and I'm going to quote them here, trusts to the scientific method when it comes to understanding how the universe works and rejects the idea of the supernatural and is therefore an atheist or agnostic. Second point, they make their ethical decisions based on reason, empathy, and concern for human beings and other sentient animals. And, and interestingly, I'll add here, not because God tells you to do that, but because they feel it's a right thing to do. Third aspect is believes that in the absence of an afterlife and any discernible purpose to the universe, human beings can act to give their own lives meaning by seeking happiness in this life and helping others to do the same. So I think those three are really, really honourable building blocks to creating a meaningful life. And, and I think when you, when you start having happiness as your axiom, as your kind of like, so in, in, 
in morality, in consequentialism. So one of the secular moral frameworks we can have is, is consequentialism, where the moral value of something is derived by the consequences to an action. Yeah. So if I, if I, if I, uh, if I buy you a cup of coffee, uh, Elmo at, at a cafe, and that makes you happy, you know, you can say, why did you do that in order to make you happy? And it's that happiness that is, that is, that is the consequence of that, then, then, you know, the goodness of my action is in the happiness that you feel. And, and the great thing about happiness or pleasure or lack of pain is that it's quite axiomatic. It sits nicely at the bottom. You can't derive it further. So if I asked you, if I said, why did you do that? And you said, because of this. And I said, why do you do that? Why is that important? You said, because of this. Eventually, you'll get down to say, I did that because it makes me happy. And if I said, well, Elmo, why is it good to be happy? And you're like, it's just self-evidently good. Happiness is just there's no, I don't need to give you a reason why I should be happy because it, it is, it's good in its own right. It, 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 it's, it's just a beneficial state of affairs. So happiness is a really useful axiom. So when we talk about meaning and when we talk about morality, it's hard to get away from trying to make as many people as happy as possible, you know, in the lives that we're given. Now, of course, you know, there are, there are problems to every moral value system. So it's not perfect by any stretch. And, and, and calculating these things can be really difficult. And how do you calculate them over what time periods? But the general basis of consequentialism, I think, is fairly sound reasoning, which is I do something in order to make the world a better place. And I seem to think the world is a better place if more people are happy and, and so on and so forth. That's 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 you know there are so many areas to touch on here though and so many you could have a whole you could have a whole ten hours just talking about happiness. Yeah, but at the root of it though, you uh, your only action there, I I I assume is happiness slash sort of well being yeah, kind of yeah. happiness, right? Yeah. So okay, so um, so what what is happiness? You know, if you you can define it, in, you have defined it in many ways. But uh, you know, what is this action? Is it sort of like uh, this dopamine in the rain? Is it like in terms of well being? Like, yeah. Uh, well, I, it's a, sort of a relative. Oh, he good. Yeah. Situation. What is it? Yeah, and that's a million dollar question. And this is where you know, even even making the claim about happiness and saying it's pretty axiomatic. Well, then, what exactly is happiness? Because you get hedonistic happiness which is that kind of i suppose your dopamine kind of real you know you could take some drugs get really happy really really you know yeah, quickly. it could be a drug vegetable exactly right? and have heroin your whole exactly. life and that would be happiness exactly uh, and so therefore we, okay let's be a little bit nuanced about this and then you have eudaimonia eudaimonia this kind of idea that you got more long-term fulfillment so flourishing of hu hu human you know the human species or flourishing of a human being well then who gets to define what flourishing is and what you know it, these things are difficult uh, and granted and it's part of the reason i'm a moral skeptic because i actually i think yeah, yeah. So like earlier, I said, I, I don't believe that morality exists out there in the ether. I don't think there is an objective morality. And what we do is we construct morality to best suit our purposes. And as long as we know that... The... That sort of contradicts with your humanism, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's... So, yes. Well, it, I don't think it contradicts, but it, but it's... It, what I, I suppose, you know, it depends what your goal is. So if your goal is morality is goal oriented in my, in my opinion so 
any kind of moral value system is seen in like, what do you want the world to look like? Okay, once you've set out your goal, then you can talk about how you want to go about achieving that, which is kind of using morality to get to this end goal. But I think that the interesting idea is, uh, and I don't think we do this enough, which is what do we what do we want the world to look like? If we if we did that, politics would fall into place. Our morality would fall into place. So so literally, what do you think is our is your perfect conception of what the world is? And once you've once you've uh, and this is perhaps like the most important question that we have, that no one seems to. We talk about how we're going to get to this place. We don't know where we're going to. We talk about you. Well, that's wrong. You, you did, did. We argue stuff on the veneer up here on the. Veneer. So it would be circular though if your 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 definite you know if your axiom for uh, is for happiness is a perfect world right that you idealized. Then what would the this perfect perfect world that you idealized be based on? like be up on people being happy well so uh, yeah just... yeah 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 exactly so th there's something called the munchausen trilemma so the munchausen trilemma says that there are only three ways of grounding any claim uh, whether it's a knowledge claim whether it's, it's a claim like like that you know that you were just talking about so there's only three ways you can ground it in a circle so it goes round and round and round as you just described or you can have an infinite regress so it goes back forever and never and ever, and it's never actually grounded. Or you have an axiom, and an axiom is supposedly a self-evident truth. So you just have this brute fact at the beginning and say, right, this is self-evidently true. That's where we're going to start from. And then we can build from there. It's non-derivative. You can't derive it back past that. And that's why happiness is generally a fairly safe option or pleasure. It's a fairly safe option, well-being, because it appears to be non-derivative. It appears to be axiomatic. But then if you're going to plug that in itself into where you want to get to, then you are creating this, this interesting circle. So, uh, you know, and I'm not saying there's, there's particularly a way out of this because there really is only axiom, circle or infinite regress in grounding anything. So it's got to be one of those three things. All right. So however, however you look at the world, however you want to, to arrange the world, justifying that claim We'll have to we'll, we'll have to defer to one of those three options. So, in in terms of you know juxtaposing humanism to you know some like to the theist theists moral worldviews, which of course varies a lot. Um, the the the, uh, the in terms of theism, right? I, I do see uh, a very strict, I guess, in terms of. Uh, adherence to to a logical coherence right they do attempt uh, a lot in terms of of how morality should work and undivine I, I would disagree with that. i would think that i i think they're i think they're logically hugely incoherent i think divine command theory is 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 hugely problematic um uh and i think that that the moral claims so theisms theism different theisms will generally defer to some kind of revelation to ground their moral claims but you take the the bible as as a grounding for 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 a moral value system it's hugely problematic you've got genocide you've got slavery so i no, i disagree i would say that that i would say that this is the other way around theistic claims are hugely incoherent and the only coherent way is to build stuff up from the ground up yeah and uh, so well of course in terms of the the the, the problem of evil and everything right uh, 
theologians have a lot of counter arguments for that, you know, and theses and everything. But of course, I, I see your point, right? You know, from your direction there, uh, it it does seem to fall apart. And so, but you know, as you said, like if you juxtapose it with with humanism, it, you know, you are presenting sort of a, a new moral system for the for the people, but it's but as you are also saying, you are just relying on this brute fact of an axiom that you have to enforce in order for it to actually make sense, right? But if that foundation itself is just a brute fact, you know, and it's no different from from a theist claiming God to be a brute fact as well. So, so uh, it, it's what it, what is humanism, right? Is it just a, a tool, or is it something that actually that we should actually believe in? Right? Is do we? Is it simply a choice that oh you can have humanism or not? So if it's just an option, right? Then you can have other things. So it, so in that sense, that the nihilistic worldview, you know, with a godless universe, act, is actually the encompassing thing that that the 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 I guess the default option for everyone. I I don't know. I I, I suppose human humanism isn't a tool. Humanism is a is a position or a label to describe oneself as someone who uses a particular set of tools. So if you say, right, it seems to be that humanism, as I said, in those three, three pillars of humanism, that, that the scientific um, method is important. It seems to be that um, moral, or it seems to be that reasoning is important. It seems to be that, that, that adherence to some kind of naturalism is important. Um, for explaining how and, and these are all I would say are fairly reasonable positions to take you know the scientific method is useful and it's shown to be useful inductively we have good reason to to believe it's a sound method for for both for pragmatic purposes and for for, for leading us to knowledge in in general um at and, and so I think, you know, humanism isn't a tool. I think it's just a label of people who use certain tools and think those tools are more important than. But, but by, by how you've described it though, right? Like it's in terms of pragmatic, in terms of like a very useful uh, method, right? That, that is, sounds reasonable with uh, naturalism and science, the scientific method. That is, that is in fact what a tool is, right? But if you are going to claim for humanism to be a true, truth right that we should follow right that there's a should there because it is a moral claim for that if you are going to do you know as a as a member of society and say that okay this is what is right and this is what we should do then then that you are making a moral claim and that that, that is a should right so so you are so you have to ha have accountability for that as well. So it, it so it but if you're just gonna say that hey you know this uh, option this uh, humanism might be very useful and pragmatic for us to use then it is in fact by the by that definition then just a tool. Uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah. If, if it's a tool made up of constituent tools, then <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? Mm, like, yeah. Like yeah. 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 If you, if you want to see it that way, then then yes, that's fine. So again, we I suppose it comes back to what kind of world do you want? 
again we get back to this goal like humanism is good if you want a world to look like a place where we value what we see as truth where we value reliable epistemologies where we value sound moral reasoning i.e not being told what to do by a 2000 year old book that tells you not to eat shellfish you know uh, it, 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 if we value um the 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 general idea that naturalism holds so so these are all these are all things that I think we've got very good probability. Uh, we've got very good justification in terms of probability for adhering to. For example, for example, and I and I love this. This is something that Richard Carrier uh, set out the argument uh, for, which is is if naturalism has has supplanted supernaturalism ten thousand times in a row, right? So if if each time, like we used to think that thunder was Thor's hammer we used to think x y and z and then over time we understood the world and naturalism we understood that thunder is actually as a result of you know x y and z scientific you know claims and if naturalism has replaced supernaturalism as an explanation ten thousand times but supernaturalism has never once never once replaced naturalism as an explanation for things um then then if you're a betting man would you bet on a horse that's won 10,000 times in a row in the next race, or would you bet against it? So pragmatically, for example, I'm not, I'm not like saying a priori that, that before, that just straight away, that naturalism is true and supernaturalism is, isn't, right? But I'm saying in all probability, naturalism holds. And we can have very good inductive reasoning for believing so because it's been right time and time and time and time and time again. So that now all we've got left is something like consciousness, the beginning of the universe, you know, why is there something rather than nothing, you know, a couple of claims that are left where, where if, if, if you're a betting man, you would put your money on naturalism. So I just think that those tools that, that humanism entails have got very good justification for thinking they are good tools. And if you then say, well, humanism is, is a tool in itself, I, then I'd say it, it appears to be a good tool because it's using very good constituent parts. But again, the question is, well, what world do you want? Because for example, if I want a world, if I want a world where everyone is arguing with each other and killing them because uh, I, I think it's a great, I think the world is great when there are different tribes of people beating the hell out of each other and believing different things, then do you know what? Religion is a really good tool. It depends on what my goal is. So, so the, in, in philosophy, this is called, you have uh, in a conditional sentence, you have something called a protasis and an apodosis. So a protasis is an if statement and the, the apodosis is the then statement. And what we always do is we say, this is really good. But what we forget to say is, if I want this, then this is really good. We forget the beginning bit. So, so it's a bit like saying, filling my car with, with petrol is really good. Well, yeah, I understand that. But what you're really saying is, if I want to drive from A to B, then filling my car with petrol is really good. But if I was a scientist and I wanted to see how an engine fails to work if it has no petrol in, then having petrol in my car is bad. So it, what I'm trying to say is that, that we keep making these moral statements that are the end part of the conditional statement, 
without talking about the first part, the if part, which is gets back to if I want a world to look like this, then I want humanism as, as a prevailing worldview. Do you know what I mean? So we can only say that humanism is good if we really carefully set out what kind of world we are looking for, what our goal is. Do you, do you, do you see what I'm saying now? So this is the importance of setting out that goal. What kind of world do we want? I think I, think I would like a world where truth is valued, where we are good to our fellow humans, where we have environmental sustainability. And, you know, and I can, you can ask me to justify each of those claims. And, and I would attempt to do that, you know, in one of the three ways that I can. But I had, there's an intuitive sense that, that, that the world would look good like this. Yeah, yeah, you see, and that, that's dangerous in itself, right? But, but there's a sense that the world will be good like this. And if it's good like this, valuing these kind of things, then I think humanism is, is the best tool, as you, as you say, for getting there. So really, when, when, when we're having podcasts like this, we should, be, we should be talking always about what kind of world do you want? Well, there's no point arguing what we should do, what we should do, what we should do. This is a better moral system. This is a better moral system because they're all goal orientated. What do you want the world to look like? And when you can agree on what the world should look like, or when you can sort that out, then we can work out what's the best way of getting there. Yeah, and uh, well, I, I guess uh, that's a topic that, you know, a different topic. And, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> before that, I would like to say that, you know, eh, um, Jonathan, it's been awesome to have you here on the show. But I, I, one last question, you know, it, this is really getting awesome. And uh, I, I can't uh, stop myself from asking. But, um, you know, you said if we want this world, right, the, that this good world, but you know, if if everyone has a different if there, and it, if it, if it all it takes for humanism to be to be a, a valid worldview is is the if statement, and that they they have this certain direction that they want the world to have. What if the world Muslims would have the same argument like, like hey, if the world were, you know was this, you know that? Well, that's what they do. Uh, that's exactly what they do. So what Muslims start off, they start off with with already. The presupposition, I suppose, that that Islam is true. So they say, if they basically say, if we want the world to be Muslim, then we should follow these laws, or we should follow the moral teaching of Muhammad. Or if we want, if we want the world to, if we want all humans to be, yeah, good, the same goes with China, right? Yeah, Come with communism, yeah, yeah, all worldviews, yeah, yeah, of course. So again, it comes down to what what do you want the world to look like, and if you're going to plug in your your and you know you might say i'm plugging in humanism to that well actually i don't think so because i would be using using that to achieve a certain goal but then my, are my goals wrapped up with the idea of humanism and i think that's a really interesting question possibly because actually i think some of those are you know ideas within humanism are are great goals in themselves so yeah this is hugely problematic what do you plug into your to your calculation as to what the goal is and are you going to be biased by the culture that you're brought up in and and you know that's why you want to strip away all, all your cultural baggage to see if you can build up a, a world from just pure you know quality reasoning you know that's a yeah and uh, and uh one, one last topic right but this is sort of a meta discussion because you know you you sort of mentioned like if we are we're talking about this in our podcast like what kind what kind what should we you know what would be the action plan 
uh, for in, in the end for this because like should we have discuss what we should do or should we discuss like what kind of world we want well well I would say you know if if our discussion like um, oh you have you have this ideal world and I have my, a different ideal world so so um, it would eventually you know the the real how how would we settle that it's it's either two things right i can i one of us convinces each other or eventually it becomes like a power struggle you know and and of course everything is a power struggle right that's what the postmodernists you know how postmodernists think but you know in in some sense right for example science right the way science proves itself is not convincing the other, but it's convincing its claims to be true, to be facts. And um, I, I'd say, like, if if we go the same, you know, if, if we uh, go the same, a different path for philosophies, for ethics, you know, like, oh, you know, in in our in in our ethical discussions, we just we we only have to discuss this direction but not the truth right well what it well so in this sense you know for, for what is humanism offering is it offering the truth of what is in fact how we humans should behave or is simply a direction towards a certain goal that we subjectively decided Again, there's so much to unpack there. I think it's interesting when you say, you know, science is disagreement over science. And some people, I think everyone agrees how, how powerful science is and how useful it is and how wonderful science is. Everyone agrees on that until they don't. And the reason they don't is because they don't like the conclusion. So you'll find a young earth creationist will happily use a mobile phone right and technology and all the wonderful things and 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 may or may not like vaccines and this and that they will use science and technology when it doesn't intersect with their religious claims but as soon as it does they will cherry pick areas of science that they disagree with and this is just special pleading so so i i i think that there's one of your problems as soon as you have a cherry picking and the special pleading it, as 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 part of your kind of kind of rubric of what you're you're doing i think you've got problems i think i think it's interesting when you say well what if people disagree about their if starting point their goals for society and that's in really interesting so what do you do when you disagree with someone well you do philosophy which is well why do you think this why do i think this where where exactly you boil it down you, you drill it down drill it down where exactly do we disagree and 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 is it axiomatic or have you done a faulty move somewhere and you try and unpick why you differ because i think generally when people humans boil their beliefs down we will probably agree more often than we don't and we would probably agree on what kind of world we would want i reckon most people have got a pretty good idea of what world they want what happens is psychology gets in the way psychology gets in the way society gets in the way uh, what 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 they've learnt about the world supposedly being true gets in the way and you have cognitive dissonance and you have all these things that happen psychologically which screw up your reasoning and people then start diverging from each other but i i i would think if we stripped away all our kind of cultural individual 
kind of up cultural upbringings and then went back to kind of pure kind of philosophy and reasoning we'd probably agree a lot more than we than we give give ourselves credit for all right well uh, jonathan uh, i would say you know if you ask me what kind of world i would want it it would uh, it would be of course uh, ever everyone would be happy yeah <laughs> but of course i'm christian <laughs> and uh anyways jonathan i mean there it's been awesome and like i i love this this is one of the breath of fresh air that like, interview and is there anything you want to promote of course your book yeah so i've, I've written a book on the resurrection the, re- the resurrection a critical examination of the easter story um richard carriers just said it's the the go-to book for the for the resurrection so i'm really really stoked with that um it's had loads of great endorsements I, i'm really happy with the book you know this and my nativity book and the clan book i think are really powerful um uh books that 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 put forward my case as strongly as possible and and i'm really proud of them so they are they are my my uh crowning achievements uh, so far all right well uh, jonathan uh thank you so much for being on the show hope you can have uh be on the show again maybe on a debate uh, about about the resurrection i'll find someone awesome for you and uh, have a great day Joe. cool thanks mate take care <laughs> So that's the end of it. Thanks for tuning in, guys. This is your host, Elmo Ador Jr. And thank you for listening in. And please subscribe. Please follow us on Facebook. Please, please follow this. Please. Thanks. It used to be hard to find the exact auto parts you needed. And that meant spending a lot of time at swap meets. It's a different game now when you can order exactly what you need from eBay Motors. They have 122 million parts, so you can always find the right fitment. Spend less time searching and more time building with the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Holidays are here, and so is fashionable fitness. Gift yourself a Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3 5G, a phone that folds in half to literally stand on its own. Pair it with the Galaxy Watch 4 for ultimate wellness and wow factor. Check health stats, flex personal records. Over 90 activities can be tracked, like biking, swimming, golfing, and more. Invest in yourself with tech made to crush goals. Holidays open up with Galaxy. Shop it all at Samsung.com. 5G connection and availability may vary. Check with Carrier. Products sold separately.